Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. AM 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right. Carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence. For Carlson fish oils are tested for purity, potency, and freshness. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. That's right. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. I love those nature shows that probe the behavior and intelligence of birds, elephants, and other fellow creatures. However, there's one exotic critter that shows have ignored and is crying out for analysis, humanoids superrichinoids. While some in this rare species seem like normal homo sapiens, as a group, the superrichinoids exhibit aberrant destructive tendencies. In particular, an insatiable desire to accumulate boundless personal wealth, as if one's net worth is one's true worth. They view life as a primal competition to be number one, the richest of all. Robert Frank, an analyst of plutocracy, points to the insane competitive zealotry of Larry Ellison, the multi-billionaire co-founder of Oracle. Frank writes that when Ellison learned that a rival billionaire was having a 400-foot yacht built, a boat one-third bigger than a football field, Ellison rushed out to get a 450-foot yacht. Toys are one thing, but the uber-rich tend to feel entitled to exploit rank-and-file workers, crush small competitors, pay no taxes, rip off consumers, defraud investors, contaminate our environment, buy elections, monopolize markets, and 
demand to be publicly celebrated and idolized. But when poked, these wannabe demigods turn into wimps. Now that their freakish greed is being denounced by the American majority and politicians of both parties, the royals are squealing like pigs stuck in a fence. Their hubris is being openly mocked, and I suspect that their whimpering is due to their finally realizing that their bloated net worth can't buy respect, and they can't handle that reality. This is Jim Hightower saying, we've got to get back to building a real economy based on the productivity and true genius of America's grassroots people. What do the corporate powers from Wall Street to Walmart have in common? They hate the Hightower Lowdown. You can see why at www.hightowerlowdown.org. This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. LegacyFoodStorage.com New U.S. sanctions on Iran took effect today. Six months after President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the international nuclear deal. The sanctions target Iran's shipping, financial, and energy sectors all key to the country's already struggling economy. The bombs, which the FBI referred to as improvised explosive devices, were sent to the FBI's bomb laboratory in Quantico, Virginia. We're in Mexico again tonight as thousands of migrants try to find a faster way to the U.S. border. The White House says it's now getting help from the Mexican Breaking news out of Pittsburgh. The man accused in the shooting at the uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh is pleading not guilty, and he also wants a jury trial because he's facing a 44 count. So, in the final seconds before the Boeing 737 Max crashed into the water, it was traveling at more than 500 kilometers an hour. All 189 people on board were killed. You've now entered the House of Mystery. Crime, conspiracy, history, and science. With your hosts, Al Warren, Mike Brown, Julie Serve, Michael Butterfield, Dr. Joseph Usinski, and Michael Hawley. Heard on KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. All right, come sit around the fire. Uh, <laughs> oh, we yeah, we're here in the house of mystery. We've got our carpet slippers on and our yeah. our smoking jackets. Yeah, got a c- and, uh, cigar and. Uh, well, I have my Sherlock Holmes curly pipe. I, <laughs> and I have scotch. Oh. And a fire, and. Uh, <laughs> And a dog. I, and a I dog. didn't think you were a big drinker. I'm not, but it looks good. Ah, there you go. I don't like that these, makes sense. I don't like these heavy sweaters either, but, you know, it makes me look yeah. important. Right. You know. Uh, sure. Hey, my book made number four in Canada. Well, it should. Well, no, I've never had a number one in Canada. Really? No. It's the only country, I mean, I've had it in the States six times, I think, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven in Australia, one in Germany, and a couple in England and uh, Canada. This is the highest rated book I've ever had. Interesting. Maybe you don't market yourself enough. I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and now that now that I'm talking about you on our podcast, maybe that's why. Oh, now they're after me. They're uh, after you. <laughs> no, actually, um, uh, true crime in in the whole doesn't sell as well in Canada as 
like it's not at the 10% level it should be compared to the states, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and within the field itself, I don't know, I just never, um, I guess I've never really had book signings and I've never really uh, been out enough. Um, and the publishers focus on the U.S., yeah, well, which makes sense. That's where the that's where the money is. That's where the audience is. So, yeah, you know. what can you do? Um, but yeah, so um, I'm in the big leagues now. Uh, I can there you go. Well, the the little big league. <laughs> I can start signing people's um, arms. And it's like the CFL of books. <laughs> CFL. Yeah, yeah, it's smaller field. No, it's a bigger field. Oh my. So here we are. Um, so haters going to hate. Yeah, that's me. I'm a hater. Someone said that you could spot a hater a mile away. You're a hater? Yeah, I don't know who I hate, but I hate someone. Okay. Oh, that's the last thing that I would call you as a hater. Yeah, I, I call myself a goofball, or all sorts of things. but Definitely that. Yeah, a loser, but a hater. Mm -hmm. what, what, I don't understand who I hate. I guess maybe maybe uh, we pick too much on Trump. Maybe I. Maybe what? It's, maybe it's Trump. I don't because that's who do I ever pick on? That's um, you know what I mean. I don't really. Yeah. I think it's all. I think every. I love Republicans. They certainly are the sexiest men around. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't agree with them, but I. Anyway, so, so um, yeah, you caught me. I'll say, yeah, you caught me. I'm a hater. Okay. Um, what's the other? Uh, lots of good comments on a lot of different shows, actually. Uh, it's just uh, lately it's been on a good streak. Um, oh, that's good. You know, so I'm pretty happy. And, um, okay, so the the Ted Bundy, um, do we need another episode? I'm not going <laughs> to Well... A lot of people are saying that it's been too much, but this is a different perspective entirely because uh, it's from the perspective of his actual longtime girlfriend, Liz Kendall, and her da daughter, Molly. So we haven't, haven't really ever heard about Ted as a person. Uh, we've heard about his crimes and all those kind of things, but we didn't hear about what he was like with the people around him while he was doing those things. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I watched it, and I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty happy with it, and, and I put it off for a while because I did see a lot of negative reviews on it, and kind of not... not there, some people saying it wasn't done that well, and, you know, uh, a bunch of shots from... Uh, um, what do they call it from those things that fly the, the drones and yeah i could hear all these things and i thought oh it won't be that good and then but it's been okay um if i was to do a documentary about a criminal uh who didn't want to talk or even one who is still around i would like to talk about that person from the perspective of the people that knew him or her do you know yeah. what i mean like yeah, it, it, it just it's better yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I will say, you know, one thing I found myself when when watching it, and you and you, you hear the uh, ex girlfriend talking through. Um, I don't know how to put this uh, delicately. Um, uh oh. <laughs> well, did she... don't start now. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, don't start. No, I just mean. Well, I mean, because I don't, I don't want to be accused of being a hater, but 
this no. this girlfriend um <laughs> I, I don't understand um why bundy was with her and 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 i see and i'm i don't i don't want to mean that as to put her down i'm not nope. i'm not slamming her what i'm saying is she did not seem like his type you know well, she did, she did, and she didn't. She sort of had this a similar haircut to a lot of the women who he ended up murdering, and that was kind of the thing that they always point to is these women with long hair parted down the middle. But that was just the style then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, she, she wasn't I, like like the most of the ones he murdered seemed to be almost uh, they were real pretty model type girls and and. Mm -hmm college and frilly they they seemed a bit um they were in a different style than she was i i see what you're driving at but maybe in ted's mind um oh geez and i i'm i'm trying to be sensitive about this too <laughs> well there's but, nothing wrong with it it's just she just you know she's the homebody is what i mean. yeah exactly she's so like, you know you know sitting at home knitting watching tv raising kids cooking meals like that's not so the homebody is what he has in real life, but his fantasy life involves um, these uh, beautiful women who are uh, not into what he's yeah <laughs> what well, he's they're, giving. They're they're more into having a good time. They're out footloose, fancy free, and, and college mm -hmm. and all that, going to parties and all that. And that's not a bad thing either at that age. It's just they just seem like two different um, style of people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. But I think that's that's the the thing. Like his fantasy life and his real life were two totally different things. And um it that's that's kind of the thing with psychopaths like this person. They tend to compartmentalize. So one part of their life doesn't really leak into the other part of their lives. Yeah, that's kind of like me. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, but yeah, I'm, uh, I know I fit right in there. Now, <laughs> uh, now, uh, so and now, uh, one thing I didn't—I wasn't sure I got—but the daughter. Mm -hmm. So Molly, did, yeah. Did, did did he, did Ted Bundy, um, molest her or have sex with her? Is that what the? Is that what no, she was? I, I don't think she. I don't think that happened. Well, when she, she talked, never, she never really came right out and said that or well yeah. just about when she was playing the hide and seek with him and when he should pull up you know and he was naked and and they continued to play and she was talking about that and she was almost crying and then she goes i never told my mother not for years and years later i don't even remember that part yeah wow. that's, in, that's in the third chapter when she's sitting there and that's hmm. what we were thinking I, and i and i'm thinking well so um because she she said that um uh, they played all the time, and then um, one time she was playing with him hide-and-seek, and he was hiding under a, um, a blanket or something. He was uh, like a comforter. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then she went and gr grabbed it and pulled it off and went, boo, right, or something. And then he was completely naked. And, uh, oh. and, she's, and he said, oh, don't, don't tell your mother. And then they uh, continued to play, and she said, and I just didn't think about it. I just didn't focus on it even though he mm. was he was naked and they were they were right. playing 
uh, tag and all this stuff. Uh, she just, That's pretty creepy. Yeah, and I was thinking, so what are you trying to say? And then she's like, you know, then she's almost crying. And then she goes, well, and I didn't tell my mother for, for years and years after about it. And I just don't, I, 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 I see that part confused me because it didn't really go further into that and nobody else explained that. So mm. is, is that? That might be something she gets into in the book. Yeah, I guess that probably would be the reason. I just, I just wondering if she's trying to say that he was, because why else would he be naked playing a game with her? Uh, well, so like she was what eight or nine, seven or eight or nine. Right, right. It, it, but it makes no sense to do that. Well, it makes sense if you're a pervert. <laughs> well, I didn't. But was he was he a pervert or was he? Because didn't he he was killing people? Right. But. Maybe he was. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, isn't isn't killing people uh, for sexual purposes purposes perverted? <laughs> Don't ask me. Um, and not... the word pervert is antiquated. I know that. Like, so he had uh, weird paraphilias, uh, but who knows if he was a, a pedof pedophile as well? Well, but the... it would it would kind of follow that he was. Well, there has to be some. You know, I mean, come on. Uh, you you know you're playing games with your um, stepdaughter or acting stepdaughter, your living girlfriend's daughter. Um, she's eight or nine, whatever. And uh, you know you're playing tag and whatever else you play with kids, and that's great. But you don't do it with your clothes off. No. You have to have a reason to do that. So he wants something, or he, you know what I mean? There's so there's something going on there, and they didn't explain that enough. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, maybe they just made the decision not to get in that yeah. deeply into that part of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> well, it is. But I. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I, I thought. Yeah, I thought I still got one to go in the series, but I thought it was quite good. It was done well, and I'm I'm happy with it. It's certainly better than a lot of the ones I've seen before. And oh goodness, yeah. And uh, some of them, they've had Steve Wynn and some of the good writers, I think people that wrote decent books about it. And um, that's just my opinion, of course. But uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's all good. So now we'll get on with the real guest. Great. <laughs> David. Uh-oh. You forgot. <laughs> it's David Kolchak is what I call it. Kujak. Kujak. Kojak? Uh, Does he yeah. have a lollipop because he quit smoking? Yeah, it's Kojak. Oh. Um, and I think Kojak died. But... Yes, Telly Savalas died. Yeah. Uh, but David Ko Kolchak, and uh, he has written, he's, he's actually a historian. Oh. A, a true crime historian. Oh, so cool. He, he does, he's not so much, he writes books like one of them that we're talking about is 1926, so he's talking about the... Uh, extremely high amount of murders that happened in that year mm -hmm. and and the type of vicious murders that went on and he sort of talks about why these sort of things happen in certain years like that was uh, after that Spanish flu and something about the war and about uh, uh, different things that were going on at the time so he puts together the um, which is really interesting I wish more uh, writers did that in true crime or Nonfiction is, is explain more about what's going on in the atmosphere, like the, at the place at the time. Hmm. 
Do you know, like when you hear about Jack the Ripper and stuff, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, books and writers don't mention what was going on in London at the time. Right, because there was a lot of weird things happening there. It wasn't just Jack the Ripper. There was other things that were going on. Yeah. Right, and I think that's really important because it sets the stage, it sets the atmosphere, it helps paint that picture so that you can sort of put yourself in the place when they talk about the, the crime. And it, it helps you understand it better, I think, rather than um, if they don't, then you're sort of in 2020 in your mind and then you go into the story. Uh, sometimes things seem off without the context, right? Right, yeah. So, so he writes a lot about that. Very, very interesting. And uh, so we will have him right after our fine sponsor talks. Fantastic. Are you prepared? Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go. Welcome back into the House Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Now for the interview, we have... Uh, special guest that's uh, written quite a few books that uh, caught my eye, uh, Deadliest Woman, 1926, there's been quite a few, and uh, so the author, historian David Kolchak, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. What got you into this um, world of writing, um, you know, true crime and uh, kind of um, the stories that you write? Well, I started out writing fiction. I was really lucky. I, I was about in my 30s, and uh, I wrote a bunch of short, short stories, and I sent them to different magazines, and they all got accepted. And, you know, there's always, they say, oh, expect to be rejected 100 times before you're ever published. And the first three things I sent out to people got published. So I started writing for a, a week, weekly paper from the Seattle Times, and you know, I'll just kind of start doing the freelance writing thing. And I um, was already into having a history degree from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And I moved to California, and I started digging up all the history books. And it was all about the same thing. And and I, I started looking into crime books. It's all the same characters all the time. And I thought, well, there's got to be more than this. And so I started digging things up and uh, found a lot of good books on uh, Linden Press, uh, Craven Street, Quill Driver. That's their, their subsidies. That's my my first four books are on and they had these great books of uh, California crime history and stuff I sent them a, a, a proposition you know a proposal proposition <laughs> uh, and they said yeah and so you know they put out four books of mine they're all California based um, California justice shootouts lynchings and assassinations was my first book and uh, death in California California is my second. California fruit flakes and nuts. Um, I tried to I tried to get away from the crime thing, and uh, didn't work. <laughs> so the next book was California's deadliest women, and uh, dangerous dangerous dames and dames and murderous moms. That book I got PTSD by the time I finished it. It took me a good year to get over. 
uh, writing that book. There's not one happy story. In my other books, there's always like at least a, hu- a humorous, you know, <laughs> a humorous homicide, you know, or at least kind of, you know, uh, something really stupid, almost Three Stooges like. But in California's Deadliest Women, these are uh, like 36 women that um, killed cold blooded, just cold blooded. And, uh, yeah, there's nothing nice. Nothing to chuckle about. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing. Well, yeah. Well, the, the 36 women that killed cold blooded were they serial killer or were they just like uh, killing a lover type thing or what? It, it's all a mixed bag. I picked out women that did it on their own that weren't encouraged by a male or, or by a group or anything. These are individual murders. And, uh, you know, it's uh, cold, cold, cold. Now, do you find that, that did those women kill um, violently, like with a knife or a gun, or was it like a quiet poisoning? You know, oddly enough, um, poisoning didn't really happen that much. I mean, it happened, but those aren't the stories I went after. Um, for every story I, I wrote about, there was probably five that I did because it didn't, you know, maybe it was poisoning, maybe it wasn't as interesting, you know. Um, there's a lot of murders that just aren't interesting enough to write a whole chapter about. Hmm. Well, what do you, what is it that you find interesting? Like, what part um, are you looking for in a murder when you write? Something unique about it, whether it was a multiple one. Because, you know, people say, like, all these mass murders that are happening now. It's like, no, nah, they were always happening. It, there was probably a good dozen in 1926 alone. Hmm. But so, there, yeah. there has to be something, um, you know, uh, just just like a lot of times the most interesting murders are the ones where it's just a normal person that all of a sudden is murdered or becomes a murderer, you know. It's not like this person was this uh, criminal the whole time. And one odd thing I found is that after wars, especially in 1926 I wrote, uh, 1926 homicide in America. There's just all these crazy killings that happened in 1926. I wrote that book because while I was doing research on all my other books, 1926 kept on popping up. But unless it happened in California, which is what I was writing about, I didn't include them. But I I made notes of it and put it away. So I finally got enough to have a whole book about the crime. I didn't even use gangsters or anything like that. These are just like everyday uh, horrible things that happen. No, yeah, I could, sort of read the, um, the, um, the, the forego about that, and it sort of mentions how um, you're kind of su- suggesting that everything just went all loose. Like they were just, like it was just crazy time in 26, you know, uh, the partying and the drugs and the alcohol and killing. Um, what was so different about 1926 that made the whole society go like nuts? Well, it was a good uh, six, seven years from the end of World War One. In World War One, everybody signed up and went out there, and um, you know, people came back wounded, uh, crippled, uh, mentally unstable, and everybody had a friend who died. Every family had somebody who died, so everybody saw death, and then the flu pandemic of 1919 the Spanish flu they call it that killed even more people 
So everyone saw death. Everyone had experienced death. It doesn't matter what social order you were in. You experienced death. And and, uh, and so everybody just kind of said, screw it, you know. So why do I have to uh, wear a corset? Why do I have to, you know, men were like, why do I have to do this or that, you know. Cars became more numerous, and so people um, had, you know, more access to mobility, um, the radio, uh, films, the silent films were at their peak at that time. They were, you know, if you watch a silent movie from 1926, it's like a work of art. They had it down. And the films were about people, you know, the It Girl, Clara Bow. Um, I saw that film in a, in a um, college class I had about 10 years ago. And there are all these young kids in the class, you know, there's like 300 people in this class. And they all just flipped, just like they did in 1925 when it came out. It still, it still rings with the young people, uh, a hundred-year-old movie. So all these, all these things were happening. There was kind of an awareness. Part of it, too, is that the radio, um, that's the first year that... Um, network radio came out before it was all just independent stations and that's when the national broadcasting company happened they did uh, transcontinental simulcast radio so for once in the entire history of the world everyone was listening to the same thing beginning of the end and yeah it's it's you know almost like you know i don't know how old you are but when the uh guys landed on the moon i was like 10 years old and it was kind of like everyone just kind of felt like, uh, yeah, beginning of the end, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, what does this mean? You know, what what could happen here? You know. Yeah. Well, now we've got people saying it never happened. So. Yeah, but also another thing I've noticed in, in some of the more recent uh, books I'm writing is that after wars, um, like after World War One, after World War Two, and even now. Um, veterans kill themselves or they have to slow death from the injuries that they had and that was really bad after World War II um, my father's cousin I just found this out a few years ago was um, was like in uh, the Bataan Death March or something and was a prisoner of war and uh, he died like in 1954 1953 of his wounds you know from having malaria and everything. And people were jumping out of, like, hotel windows, people committing suicide all over the place. I'm talking 1946, 47, 48. You know, people just think, oh, and they went back to work. And it's like, no, people were really destroyed. Yeah, so it really hurts people um, uh, mentally, and and it throws uh, society into kind of a, a little bit of a, a loop there, I guess. Yeah, and also a lot of these people, you know, they they were in war, and and um, so shooting somebody or killing somebody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They've done it, you know. They already did it. So it's, it's not like something they have to, you know, the urge is there. So now were the type of murders in 1926, for instance, um, were they um, rather violent and cold and... Uh, anonymous murders, or was it? Was it uh, what was different about them? They were really violent. <laughs> they were really violent yeah. murders. Um, that's another thing that struck me. Um, even in my books, those stories that happened in California were in 1926. One of the weirdest ones that happened on May 30th, 1926, in Provo, Utah. And this four-year-old kid, his name was James Brandt, he was playing with his three-year-old brother in the backyard of the grandma's house. And it was like a Sunday afternoon. You know, his parents were young, young and stuff. And the kid picked up a hatchet that was laying around the yard and and beat his, beat his brother over the head with it over a dozen times. An adult saw what happened. And so, you know, what do you do when a four-year-old's an axe murderer? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know. You, know. you can't arrest them. They, they took them to a hospital. What they knew about psychology and stuff, but, you know, they couldn't do anything. And uh, the kid died of epilepsy, like uh, oh, three years later, at seven. They said that um, their neighbors, when he was just a couple of months before that happened, he was snooping around the neighbor's yard, and a neighbor caught him and said, "You know, I'm gonna cut off your head," and uh, had a hatchet. And you know, people used to just kill their own chickens in, in their yard back then. And he dragged the kid over to the butcher block just to scare him. They said after that, the kid was never the same, and he started hurting animals and getting in fights with the uh, playmates and stuff. But, man, what do you do? Well, you know, kill him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, that's, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah, but, said, yeah. you know, it did happen, so. Um, so, it, it it only so this 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 violent crime period of of a year. Don't it really only happened a year? How how does society kind of grow out of that so quickly? You know, I don't know the answer to that because it did fall off. I mean, still there was some you know a lot of murders and stuff afterwards and before, but 1926 just had that that uh, thing where somebody just goes nuts and kills everyone in the house, and, you know, or just. You know, a farmer that, uh, you know, kills his family. It's like, oh, so I, I really don't know. You know, I'm I'm a historian, so I, I'm i not an anthropologist. Mm. Or, you know. no. <laughs> no, it's just, it's kind of, you know, just following it and writing about it. I'm just wondering if, yeah. if, if, if you noticed um, uh, something else going on in, 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 in the world or U.S. that would make it uh, – like peak in that one year and then all of a sudden jump back because it, it well um, it was also boom times and in, in most of the cities in america in 1926 everyone had a good paying job they, they built um you know seattle was built 
the main buildings were in the 20s. Almost every city, uh, uh, you know, there is. The technology caught up with everything. Um, we were doing doing good. Mm. And uh, so, so everyone had money, and, you know, alcohol was illegal, and everyone was listening to the same songs on the radio. And, uh, yeah. Now, now um, so how did, how did um, policing handle that sort of thing? Did they, was there a lot of arrests? Were there a lot of – what ended up happening? Well, yeah, of course they got arrested. And most of the time, you know, police – during that time, the police departments, those jobs went to, you know, Cousin Joe can't get a job, you know. Or, you know, Schmitty just got out of the army. He needs a job. Okay, just become a cop. Here's your badge. Here's your gun. Here's your club. You know, they had no training. And um, yeah, there was a crime here in Sacramento in, like, 1936 where this guy started shooting people at the Crocker Art Museum, you know. And uh, there was only, like, two police officers on duty. And it happened at like two in the afternoon, and and at that time Sacramento's population was probably hundred thousand. You know, <laughs> it's not like it's not like it was a you know sleepy village, you know. So you know the police were you know they they get they would uh, uh, beat the crap out of people in in interrogation rooms. That's how they confession. That's that's how they worked back then. <laughs> not yeah. Uh, I mean, really, yeah. that's how it worked, you know. <laughs> it, well, um, so when you look at the the big picture of murder, um, now do you find that the current trend now of people being really into um, murder and true crime and that whole thing um, was that happening back then as well? Like, were people into it like they are now? Is there oh, some sure. sort of... Look at uh, mm-hmm. Agatha Christie, uh, um, the Earl Garner Stanley wrote Perry Mason books. People love that stuff. They've always loved that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's only been a couple of hundred years since everybody's been reading and writing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's only been like 50 years since females have really gotten a, their foot in the door or being writers and uh, same thing with uh, writers in general pretty much all the ones before 1920s were rich guys who didn't have to work you know yeah. and then that kind of ended after World War One, and especially after World War Two. what an interesting uh, subject <laughs> oh thanks so so um I, I, when you when you were writing about uh, the California little series, like uh, with Deadliest Woman and things like that, how did you pick the ones that you decided to put in the book? Oh, thank, thank you. You know, <laughs> when <laughs> when you see them, you go like, "Whoa, I have to write about this." You know, um, the, the best times when I'm when I'm uh, finding these stories is when I'm looking about some other story. And then I see in the paper, you know, some blurb about this other group crime. So one thing leads to another, you know. What What is one of the weirdest stories of a, of a woman killer? 
of a woman killer? You get me back on that yeah. track? I got a great one ready to go. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I have one of, this is one of the weirdest stories about uh, California murders, and it's the mad killer of 1941 that happened in Sacramento. And, um, you know, old Sacramento is now like a big tourist spot. You know, it's made up like it's the 1850s and stuff, and it's a state park. It, it's actually a nice place, but it's like where, you know, you get taffy and, you know, tourist traps and stuff. But until 1965, for over 100 years, that was like where you'd go to score heroin and, you know, do some illegal gambling and and uh, that kind of thing. So there's always a lot of um, um, cowboys, you know, looking for work and stuff in that area, or that, that'd be where they'd come into town, you know, because... Sacramento's in the Sacramento Valley. We're 80 miles from San Francisco, but there's a lot of farmland, ranch land around us. So these guys start disappearing, and they also start finding them uh, beat, beat to death. Like they thought like a gorilla would have killed this guy like that. So they find like three guys like this. They find one who's still alive. They don't get much information. All these guys are gay cowboys, gay ranch hands. And so the counties around start, you know, they all start looking around for all their unidentified, their John Doe's. So they kind of cleared off the their boards with it, but there was at least five people, two, three of them were John Doe's, two of them actually had names, that were killed by this guy. And he would basically, they all had the same story, the ones that lived long enough, that they were drinking with this guy. Uh, um, like under the bridge, right, the railroad bridge and stuff. He offered them a ride back to their ranch or wherever, and he, he took them out somewhere else and, and like, beat them. And um, so, you know, the papers are on uproar, and then World War II happens, Pearl Harbor happens. This, these all happen, like, in uh, October, November, then December 7th, they all stopped. So it made people think that this guy was military because they all said that he drove like this, you know, drab green, like kind of older vehicle. And, uh, you know, there's two Air Force bases on north and south of Sacramento, especially back then. And uh, so, yeah, they disappeared. The crime stopped happening. But um, they start happening again. And in 1956, and this is just what I think is just the craziest thing. I, I discovered this while I was doing the research for this book about Sacramento. It's uh, Forgotten Sacramento Murders, 1940-1946. So in 1957, five guys that kind of fit the same same category, same M.O., they were, uh, let's say, on on the, the curious side of life, <laughs> right? like with their faces beat in and um, just somebody with abnormal strength killing them all. Two of them were uh, military guys too. And then the third I, I added on because it was it happened all at the same time and the injuries were the same but there was one woman that he killed. One of these guys that he killed was left on the side of the road. It was a country road now or then. Now it's like there's you know a bank in that you know, area and, you know, workout places and restaurants. And they, he was left naked laying on the side of the road, almost decapitated. So, and everything, same thing, everybody else saw a military vehicle 
um, in the scene before it happened. And then they stopped again. What could have happened is that this guy was in the military and he got transferred back to Sacramento, or he was put in prison for something other than, you know, these murders that he did. And it would have served about 18 years, and that's about normal um, was back in those days to serve for uh, murder. So no one knows what happened, no one, and no one's ever connected these uh, murders in 1957-58 with the mad killer, except me. Hmm. Well, I hope I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so what do you think uh, was the motive then when you get to that? Like, where, where, was he out for... Um, was this a, like a, some sort of sexual assault as well? No, like, was there more to you it? You know, they dance around that, especially in the papers in those times, you know. And, um, yeah. but there, did, there, there was no hint of sexual assaults with these. Um, he might have, like, you know, gay people. He might have um, hated himself for being gay. I mean, who knows? Uh, he might have just liked to kill people. And, you know, the people he was killing were, um, especially in the 41, they, they were the outskirts of society, you know. They, they were cowboys. I mean, they still had cowboys back then. And, and uh, farm workers and, you know, that's, that's low on the social um, pole, you know. Yeah. But at first, the police didn't pay much attention to it until... You know, yeah, till like two of them happened. And it's just, there weren't a lot of murders in Sacramento in, in the old days. So, there wasn't even now in a way, but, you know, it's, uh, it's hard digging up Sacramento murders that are interesting enough to write about. <laughs> and, so, and so, the second uh, thing, series of murders happened, and then they stopped again. So, um, yeah, wow. maybe um, he got caught for some other crime in the military, and they sent him somewhere else. Um, they had the, the bases here, McAllen and Mather. Um, Mather was uh, like a navigation school, and uh, they also had bombers there and stuff. But um, McAllen was like an armory. That's where they had bombs for uh, World War II, and Doolittle's Raiders were fitted out there and all that, you know. So that was a major, major base. Thousands of men that uh, they're coming and going all the time. You know the, the Golden State murderer guy, right? That happened right here in Sacramento, actually in the neighborhood I lived in. Um, everyone thought that he was like an Air Force uh, Special Forces guy because it, you know, would disappear and he was like such a, you know, he would, he would, there were cops that were like stand, almost standing on him, and he was like hiding in bushes and stuff. And they'd see the evidence later, you know, that he was under there. And that's why um, everyone everyone thought it was like a guy from Mather, which is the closer base to where the crimes happened. And it turned out to be this guy. Well, he hasn't been convicted yet, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty, pretty, uh, they're pretty solid case of yeah. DNA. And yeah, a friend of mine used so. to deliver his newspapers. Do you ever wonder? Yeah. Do you ever wonder how someone like that can 
do so many killings and attacks and then just stop and then live a normal life for years. Yeah, isn't that weird? You know, and that's why everyone thought that he was like a, you know, military super, you know, sealed ranger guy or something. I mean, you know, um, I've been told by people in this neighborhood that when it was hecky coys out and they were trying to fit into the neighborhood, <laughs> they were like wearing wigs <laughs> and bad beards and stuff. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's just it's crazy. I, I just wonder, um, does that kind of all kind of almost prove that a lot of the profiling done on these killers are, are not so accurate and they're 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 kind of way off base yeah. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, wasn't the Green River killer up there in Seattle? Seattle wasn't the case too. Didn't wasn't it just turn out to be some guy they had no idea? didn't fit it yeah and uh same yeah, thing with the like bck so <laughs> guy in kansas city yeah yeah so. and that's sort of what i mean there's so many that they get it by accident you know a parking ticket or something weird and mm -hmm. then uh they catch them but it's not from the profiling and i just wonder if if that's just a whole lot of money for nothing well i think a lot of things are <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean <laughs> there's a whole lot of money for nothing all over the place you know yeah yeah big business um well that's that's, that's really interesting but um do you have any influences is there is there other writers or or programs or, or things that influence you on how you write? Um, J. Robert Nash is the guy that uh, he wrote, uh, well, he wrote a dozen here, Murder America. He did the Blood Letters and Bad Men. He got famous for it. It came out in about 72. And, um, yeah, it was just like the first history of, like, Letters and Bad Men. And it, it gave me just uh, inspired me. All of his books did, and he also does it in a kind of an order that I kind of do too. Where I, I hate it when I'm reading a, reading a story, and I'm like three paragraphs down, and I still haven't found out what town it's in. You know, and it's like, yeah, tell me where it is. You know, it's like set, set the story up. You know, the date, the address if I have it, and who was involved, and and I just kind of do that to so. You know, that's, I don't know, if J. Robert Nash, I guess I have to hand it to him. He's he's still alive. He's about 90 years old. He's a Chicago guy. Um, yeah, he supposedly has the largest crime library in the world. So he's, he's, he's been... Had the years. Yeah. And, uh, and Kurt Vonnegut's my other um, influence. Just his writing mm -hmm. style. You know, I just, just love it. Because well, most of my stories and people say this, it's they you read them and it sounds more like somebody's telling you the story, you know, and because uh, mm -hmm. you know a lot of a lot of history is written so so dry, you know, and and they have to tell a story, and it, and having a history degree and things, um, you know, I I believe that you you have to write these things, you have to be a good writer to be a historian. That's what I'm trying to say. You know. Yeah. So, so you have to narrate the way. You have to uh, make um, it fun for somebody to read. You know, unless unless you're writing a textbook, um, 
you know, there's no reason to have, you know, footnotes and all that stuff. I don't want to bog things down with, you know, there's this one book I reviewed about, and the guy got really mad at me. But um, basically, he went off on a tangent, many pages, of something that had nothing to do with the story. And, you know, I pointed that out. <laughs> but, you know, you have to, to I, I would rather write a shorter story than to go on and pad, uh, you, know, you know, something. I, I do the same when I get around. Yeah, it's that. like, you know, well, people have short attention spans. I have a short attention span. And, you know, um, I kind of write about the crimes. I don't write about the the court drama that happened in, um, well, not as much as I do about the crime, exactly, unless it's something really crazy happened in the courts. But, you know, I find the court the courts kind of boring, too, most of the time. So where, where do you plan on going with uh, writing these books? Do you keep, you, where, do you, where do you head next for writing? I'm a geezer now. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I seem to have uh, found, uh, found uh, my genre, and, and I'm pretty happy with it. Um, you know, I've been getting a lot of calls from radio stations and podcasts and things, and I'm kind of turned into the... Old man of true crime, especially for California. So, you know, at this point in my life, I'll take it. You know, it's like uh, I don't know how many more years I got left. I'm glad, I'm glad I had the honor to really my first four. Um, you know, you know, it's like when you release your first book, people are like, "That's great." You release your second one, and people are like, "Well, oh, that's cool." You release the third one, they're like, "Yeah." <laughs> Really? Another one? What What do you hope people get uh, out of your books when they read them? I hope that they realize that things have gotten a lot better. You know, there's always all this negative yib-yab about, oh, crime's so much worse and all that. It's not. And they, they catch people nowadays. In the old days, you literally could get away with murder. Just because the police didn't really investigate, um, the police would get paid off. People didn't care. People didn't have IDs. Yeah, things are better now. You know, the police are more educated. They're better trained. You know, we can go into a whole debate about that. They, they, we have radios now. Nineteen twenty-six, they didn't have radios in police cars. You know, just think of that's just one simple thing right there. Well, just the whole idea of forensics too, right? And, even fingerprints were so primitive, and, and and look at back even just in the late 1800s when they just would wash down the crime scenes, you know. Right. You know, it's it's yeah, they, they much better, much more professional, and there's less crime than there is. You know, also back then too, um, people weren't as educated until after World War II. There was a lot of people that were illiterate, and and had no educations at all. And um, that that improved a lot after World War Two, but you know when and there's some stories I got in 1926. You know I got in um, um, the Dakotas, Montana, the old northern part. That was all full full of London Czech and Poles, um, Swedes that came over there, and like everyone spoke like in North Dakota, everyone spoke German. The only people that spoke English were cops and school teachers. And you know, everyone spoke German among themselves, and they would 
families. I, I read about this one in 1926 where they had like 18 kids, you know, uh, 10 boys and 8 girls, and the girls were all married off by the time they were 14. And the boys, they would get maybe two years of school, and then they'd go out work out in the fields. They didn't even read their own language. And they were, um, once they were 16 or so, they would even, their parents would lease them out to other farmers to help with their work, and their parents would sit back and just collect the money. And that was an agreement until they were 25 years old. What happened with this one kid is that the parents uh, um, sold him basically to this this couple away from home, you know, and away from all of his family and everything. And uh, the kid was so stupid, he thought, you know, oh, these people, it was like a young couple, they were, you know, uh, doing a scientific farm, you know. And uh, he killed them both, and then just to steal their car, he just thought, hey, that's the way I can get the car, I'll just kill them. So he did that, and then he drove home, like, hey, look at the car I got. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, just not a brain in his head. Now, do you have a website or a place that people can come find your work and find you? Well, I have a Facebook. It's David Kolchek, criminal or homicide historian. And then I have an Amazon page, too. That's just my my name. And it has all my books uh, for sale there. I used to have a blog, and I found that um, I sold less books if I had uh, if I put stories on them. <laughs> Yeah, that's all they need. It's your blog. <laughs> yeah, David, David Kolchak. So you could be the Night Stalker. You know, that was my nickname when I was in seventh grade when that TV show came out. Um, I was the Night Stalker. It's been my um, nickname in various works and stuff throughout my life. My brother, their Kolchak, that was his name too. He was a freshman in college when that came out so yeah the night stalker thing for a long time yeah i, I remember that sort of go jack too yeah we're a lot of code jack <laughs> well uh, it, it's been fun talking to you i i um we'd love to have you on again and hey um, this has been fantastic so uh we will have your books we'll have your website or your actually your amazon and facebook page on ours so people can do one click and pick it up so you know that was it's, it's very good uh, david kolchak thank you for being here hey thank you for having me it's been a pleasure to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me well good night This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You're listening to KCAA, your good neighbor along the way. I'm guessing that being rich is a comfortable feeling. No money worries. You're set for life. But is it possible that too rich can be too much, even discombobulating? Imagine being Mark Zuckerberg whose social media monopoly, Facebook, put another $27 billion in his pocket last year. Forget fundamental questions about whether he or anyone is worthy of such an excessive haul of the world's wealth. How do you spend it? 
Mansions, yachts, jets, jewels, a Picasso painting, your personal island, and other trinkets barely dent your multi-billionist windfall. And since the Trumpeteers drastically slashed your taxes, far less of your extraordinarily good fortune is diverted to public need and America's common good. Thus, the bulk of your booty goes to making you even richer. You buy out other corporations and advanced technologies. You dump billions into Wall Street, artificially jacking up the price of stocks you own. Your wealth expands exponentially, inequality spreads, and the egalitarian ideals that hold our huge, diverse society together are stretched to the breaking point. Interestingly, more and more uber-rich individuals are comprehending the ultimate consequences of such extreme selfishness, so they're responding with extreme consumerism. Specifically, they've created a boom in the sale of maximum security James Bondish armored vehicles. Priced in the half-million-dollar range, these rolling fortresses can come with 700-horsepower engines, tailpipe-to-grill anti-blast protection, door handles that can electrocute intruders, roof-mounted gun turrets, and room for 10 fully-equipped bodyguards. This is Jim Hightower saying, these armored beasts have become the preferred ride of cabillionaires, not to flaunt their fortunes, but to fend off the masses they've ripped off. What do the corporate powers from Wall Street to Walmart have in common? They hate the Hightower Lowdown. You can see why at www.hightowerlowdown.org. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Do you know where you are? Well, you've done it now. You're listening to KCAA Loma Linda, your CNBC news station. So expect the unexpected. Are you looking for health care using a non-toxic medical approach to regain your health? My name is Gilberto Alvarez, MD. My 40 years of experience using non-toxic approaches to health problems, including cancer, allow me to provide you with effective, proven, safe treatment for your health. Call 619-405-5199. That number again, 619-405-5199. The Stella Maris Clinic in Tijuana, Mexico, five minutes from the U.S.-Mexico border. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM.